0: All right, now I get to punch that button down there and say, well, good morning, Howard Garrett.
1: Good morning. How's everybody?
0: You know, it was just, as far as I'm concerned, the perfect rain. It started about dark, rained for a good part of the night, and it was clear, starry skies when I left home this morning.
1: Well, we had rain. It woke me up, too, and I'm tired of it. We've had more <laughs> <than> enough. <laughs> I tell you, it's been pretty interesting.
0: It's it has been it has been an interesting year. We've gone from being very dry to wet in the fall to very dry through the winter months back to really very wet uh for the past month or so and but you know it's just it's Texas get used to it. No wonder our poor plants get confused.
1: One thing that uh people might keep an eye out for I got a tip from um one of my uh past landscape uh, buddies He's not in the landscape business anymore, just Christmas tree business, but he still has an interest. He told me that he had uh, had caught his eye, the magnolias had caught his eye, Mm -hmm. that they're loaded with buds. And they may be really putting on a show this year, so you might uh, keep an eye out for that. I don't know if it'll be as strong for y'all as it is for us or not.
0: Well, there are parts of San Antonio, as you well know, that have good deep soils. When you get down King William area, when you get over southeast side of town, even some of the north side subdivisions that have deep soils, they go pretty nice magnolias. It's these folks just sitting on pure rock that have troubles, but I will look for that because we, we don't have a lot, but we sure do have some beautiful magnolias around. And, uh, that, uh, that little gem variety is, uh, people think it's a dwarf and it's my understanding. It's really just a slower-growing variety, but uh, it's actually That's become, right. yeah, it's actually become a fairly popular tree here.
1: Well, it makes sense, you know, all the rain that we had in the fall, uh, maybe more than did y'all have a lot of rain in the fall also. We had
0: uh, uh, September, October, early November were very wet, and then the tap just turned off.
1: Yeah, well, you may have the same, That may have been what, what the what the uh, key. Uh, was to that so we'll keep an eye on that and maybe uh it may happen for other plants, other flowering plants too it'll be a an interesting thing for everybody to keep an eye on and see if we see a difference so as we've talked the last few weeks, all the plant growth is just lush as it can be, and a lot of things are Well, I mean, my oakleaf hydrangeas are blooming, uh, I think, a little bit better than than normal this year, and uh, it may happen on other things as well.
0: Are there a number of different varieties of oakleaf hydrangeas? It seems like the one that they call Alice oakleaf is the main one we get, and it's just one of those plants that I've never really grown, and it, of course, is sort of a white flower. Do you grow any different ones, or do you know if there are any different oakleaf hydrangeas out there? I
1: just primarily have the standard one you know Uh i just uh, asked for oak leaf hydrangea there are there are a lot of others and there's some kind of vining hydrangeas and a bunch bunch that i probably need to to try but my normal ones i've got a big mass of them in the backyard and they're blooming like crazy and then i have some that haven't been in as long they're kind of spotted around scattered around in the rest of the landscape and they're all looking really really good the other neat thing about them is that some years they have beautiful red fall color too
0: yeah oh yeah yeah and uh people that you know go to san francisco or even east texas and see those giant beautiful pink and white and purple ones i can understand the attraction there but if you want one that really really grows well here the, the oak leaf is has sure been our choice and and been good and that brings up a a question that i i'd like to i think i know what your take on it is uh and that people keep wanting to argue with me about ph and i keep telling them that ph really isn't that critical if you're organic and if you have a good layer of organic material or a good level of organic material in the soil you're getting pretty much all the acidity you need from the humic acids and everything that's in there and I, it's it's kind of like a lot of things, just like the numbers on fertilizer bags. I tell people ignore them. That doesn't really tell the whole story. And it's my opinion that pH is the same way. How do you feel?
1: Yeah, I think I think pH is a resulting uh, kind of thing, not a controlling factor. And uh, if you're doing what we talked about last week, I think you know, and not doing the plastic. I wrote a morning News column about it, not using the. Filter fabrics and plastic and messing up that most important part of the soil—the surface right under the mulch—that pH is going to be moving to you know to a perfect point there mm-hmm. in pretty much any kind of soil you run into, and I uh, I th- you know the, the sulfur comes into question in this a whole lot, and I think yep. sulfur a lot of times is beneficial if it's not you know, there and available to the plants a little bit helps, but doing it a, a, a whole lot I don't think is essential uh, either. I do have a couple of trees right now. It's going to be an interesting little a couple of experiments. One of them is a parodia, a little uh, uh-huh. Persian ironwood that I planted at the office, and then there's a, another little tree I've got that... Is showing a little bit of—you'd um, probably call it cl- chlorosis. The new growth is a little lighter color than you would like to see. The parodia is even uh, pretty, pretty much uh, showing iron chlorosis. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me to look at the base of them, and guess what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: my, my own trees that I planted myself, and it—it it hap- it can happen naturally. You know, we've talked about this before. Sure. Those- the silting in, you know, during heavy rains and all that kind of thing, and there's a bunch of of weeds growing, grass is growing in the area where I put it. I hadn't really maintained it highly, so I'm, I've taken pictures of it, and I'm going to take uh probably try to do a little uh, video of me uh, uncovering it, loosening the soil up with the hoary knife, and uncovering uh-huh. it, and do a, a little before and after because I'll bet you a dollar to a doughnut that it'll turn right around by just doing the sick tree treatment with that first step, the most important in getting the soil off and dramatically exposing that flare.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh I, I think we need to wherever we can keep talking about it as a trunk flare rather than the root flare because I had a call early this morning. You may have heard he said he went back and looked at his crepe myrtles uh, that had been planted years before and they were just fine. And I said, well, did you see the broadening of the trunk? Oh, no, no. But the roots were up on the surface. And I said, well, yeah, those are those nice little fine fibrous roots. And that does not constitute the root flare that it's, you know, you've got to see how that trunk flares out and your major roots are what you want exposed. And you know, there's just sort of that long pause and that, oh, <laughs> that you get. And uh, I, I just can't think, I think we can't harp on it too much. Uh, but uh, need need those videos, need people to actually see. And I love, you know, of course, on DirtDoctor.com, you've got beautiful pictures of exposed root flares. And I sure hope anybody that's unsure will take a look at those because it's uh, uh, it's not just having roots up there. It's where that trunk actually flares out at the base.
1: Well, it. it- I think me showing uh, everybody my own trees and how easy it is to, to uh, make the mistake that you've got it uh, exposed properly as going to be important for everybody uh, to see. And on small trees, it can really happen easily because they come in the container too low, and you may have been a little cavalier when you planted them. And then, uh, like I said, it can fill in and uh, stuff wash in and fill in over, time so it's going to be a good thing to show everybody i use both terms i use root flare and trunk flare but i tell you what i'm saying more than anything now i'm just saying flare yeah and uh people can get used to that the word really explains it Mm -hmm. very well if it's not flaring out big time to where you can walk up and stand on it it's not exposed enough yeah simple as that
0: and and i compare the wrong way i said it looked like a fence post and if it looks like a fence post you're you're way wrong. You that's the you, you need to you need to do it and that's and and the other thing that I find is the people that then come back with well gosh, it's been that way for ten years and I say, Well, yeah, and your tree's been unhealthy for ten years and when it really starts to die, which it will do at some point, it's very hard to reverse. So let's take care of the problem before that happens.
1: Yeah, the champion pecan was too deep in the ground for decades and decades and decades, and it you know wasn't in horrible shape. But the but the minute we uh, exposed the flare, the dead twigs at the tip went away, and the tree filled out, and, it's, and the um, you know the bracts aren't. Uh, growing in the trunk anymore, hardly uh, at all. So yep. uh, I think talking about a dramatically exposed flare is something we need uh, to do. A lot of people tell me, oh, the flare is exposed, fine, and I'll see it. Yep. And it will be flaring <laughs> out just a little bit. Yeah, But still, there's, there's probably as much of the flare buried mm-hmm. as you can see. So that dramatic yep. flare is something we just need to keep talking about over and over and over and over
0: right well talking about things to see when we visited last week you were in uh north carolina did you see or um, hear learn anything different while you were over there to share with us
1: well i was telling julie and i uh, experimented with it a little bit last night one of the most interesting things was a gal who has done books on uh on on grilling and we don't grill we just cook inside on a cast iron stove uh-huh. cast iron skillet usually but uh but one of the things that was her big deal is that when you're cooking meat, and she was primarily talking about steak, I tried it on a pork chop last night, but on steak, you don't you don't oil the grill, you oil the meat, hmm. and, and it was a big kind of difference, in it, and it worked out really well. The pork chop browned, in fact, I cooked it a little bit too much because it browned uh, the uh, meat so pretty, and I haven't... Uh, been able to do that. In the past, I've always put a little bit of coconut oil or something like that on uh-huh. the on the uh, uh, cast iron skillet, but you don't do that. You leave it dry, get it up to a really hot temperature, put the oil, olive oil, salt and pepper on the uh, meat, and it's just really a, a, an easy <laughs> thing to do. And you never turn it more than once. And that was something I learned years ago, too, that you uh, – Even on hamburgers, the best hamburgers made are where you start seeing the red juices on the top, and you flip it one time, and it really works well. Same thing with steak, pork chops, or whatever. So that was one of the most interesting things I ran into. The other was uh, just a (laughs) – I had that interesting trip. We had – have I told you about landing there?
0: You told me, yeah, that that getting there was (laughs) – was a challenge in the the aborted uh, landing attempts and then finally getting on the ground, yeah
1: yeah it was it was a little scary, and then the big tree coming down something we don't have to uh, fool with right and then uh, going back, there were some uh, interesting things too, so it's uh, you know traveling these days is always uh, uh, an eye opener it seems
0: well, it was speaking of eye openers and uh Um, something that I probably should have paid more attention to, but uh, had a hackberry tree in my front yard at the ranch there. And it was, you know, a a reasonably, hackberries are just, you know, to me, they're not the best trees out there as a big landscape plant. The birds love them. There are a lot of good things to be said for them, but they are also a tree that can have problems. And this tree probably maybe 24 inches in diameter at the base, and showed absolutely no sign of any problem with the trunk. I mean, it was round, there were no cavities, there was nothing obvious to it, and in the storm we had last week, like a third of the tree, and it it was, you know, a, a, a narrow cleft there that uh it was just too big for me to do anything about when i first moved up there but about a third of the tree just came down it just split off and fell and that tree was totally hollow on inside uh you know there was maybe two three inches of wood all the way around and i'm probably going to have to take the remaining two-thirds down uh just because i know it's going to come down in another storm but it was interesting that you could have a tree trunk that looked totally normal and yet it was totally hollowed inside
1: well, that can happen by lightning hitting mm-hmm. it and going down through the the middle of the tree it it can also happen when it's young and uh there's some kind of physical injury and then that uh that callus will form you know completely around the mm-hmm. entire trunk and and that decayed area is in inside and you know totally in, invisible and the, it was the, that I've seen come down around here have been uh all pretty consistent too, and it's really been a little scary in some way because some big trees with a lot of foliage, nice yeah. fairly nice looking top, have blown over and the roots are just almost non existent. Just yeah. horrible roots from probably, you know, the chemical lawn care that's been going on for a long time.
0: Well, and I don't think there's any doubt of that. I had an old fella, gosh, he's probably been dead twenty five years ago, but an old tree guy named Shorty Covell that uh, and this was when Roundup was just really coming onto the market in a big way. And he, he used to tell me, he said, don't you let anybody tell you that it's neutralized when it hits the ground. He said, I look at tree roots every day, and that stuff is highly damaging to tree roots. So I think the herbicides in general, you know, greatly contribute to uh, damage to the root system of uh, many landscape trees.
1: I played in a little uh, golf tournament uh a company that's in the distribution business of uh, organic stuff now, but it's a big national company that is primarily in the swimming pool and chlorine business and mm-hmm. irrigation and you know not organic stuff. And it was really fun to, to uh, get to know them and talk about them. And they had some of their customers there that were in the synthetic fertilizer business that right. I actually got to play with and talk. And there is, there is strong movement our way. I was really surprised at how interested all of them were in talking about it. And one of the things that happened is one of the guys in charge of this part of the world for this company just uh, tried some organic fertilizer for the first time last year on his ranch, and he's got grass growing better than ever
0: before.
1: And he is really singing the praises. So, uh, And this chemical uh, fertilizer a uh, fellow that i played with um you know and he won he was interested in talking about you know his stuff and his ideas on ammonium sulfate base products and all that but i got him into talking about what you and malcolm beck and i used to talk about too you know you can take a synthetic fertilizer and add some carbon to it and make uh, some of the nutrients more bioavailable and turn it into not as good as a percent organic fertilizer but something that will work awfully well and they were all real interested in talking about that so we may be making some progress so uh, more so than i thought in some
0: ways well that's that is very interesting i always think back to uh the fellow who actually founded uh the green light company uh under the name of wonder chemical company barney grimm and uh the last few years that barney was with and he was chief chemist for green light and uh uh, and he he turned the company around he said i 'm terrified of the products that uh, we used to produce and by the time Barney passed on uh, everything they were doing uh was organic uh and or at least getting much closer to it and of course, they sold out to another company that's partly organic, partly not, but it's just every now and then you get somebody that is willing to look at things with an open mind and and that sort of person i think uh is a person will that can certainly see and understand the advantage of organics and I'd like to hope more of them come our way that's it uh, that sounds like a real good start
1: yeah chipping away a little bit um, all the time so it's good to get some of the you know I've kind of stayed away from some of those people in the past because I didn't feel like they were listening but uh, starting to change a little bit and we may get you know some of the, the bigger companies like that putting out some products that we could you know accept and that'll help us You know, across the country, getting more people involved.
0: Well, it's just the the thing that's going to fall on you and me and the companies is just to be sure people understand and understand how to use and understand the importance. I just I always remember uh, your slides you show of the black and white that uh, you don't just become partly organic. You make the you do it all the way, and that the the results are just so much more dramatic and than just saying, well, I'm going to try some of this organic stuff. No, make the leap. Do it all organic. That's when you'll see the big change.
1: Well, it's by far the best way to go. That that, uh, shot of a black and a white mule standing (laughs) butt to butt. Right. One of my favorite shots that I've got. Yeah, I spoke to a golf course, a super group one time, and it really made them mad. They didn't like it at all. So it, it depends on who your audience is. Oh,
0: yeah. I always remember your story about, story about getting one of the golf courses to use organics on part of the course and just the dramatic difference, but the greenskeeper refusing to even acknowledge that there was any difference at all because he was getting the free trips and all the perks from uh, buying those synthetic. Products.
1: Well, I tell you one thing that's kind of catching on a little bit is uh, with the golf course guys. Even though they're not uh, going over all organic at all, but they have figured out the value of lava sand. Really? And you're starting to see more and more of those guys. You know, the course, I play the most. The guy doesn't listen to anything I say, but he puts lava sand out on a on a regular basis. So uh, this is
0: primarily on the greens.
1: On the whole golf course. Really? What, wow. what they've discovered in, in the city uh, that we're doing some consulting with about going organic, too, when we met with them the first uh, time we met with them, they brought up the fact that they had already uh, been exposed to some research and some actual projects uh, reporting great water savings uh, from uh, the use of lava sand. So it's uh, starting to uh, catch on out there, even though. You know, the people may not be using a, an entire organic
0: program. Uh, yeah, at one point, you had a company that you thought was going to produce several different grades of lava, several different sizes of lava. That's still the problem that we face down here. Is you can get the you can get lava sand, and you can get the great big chunks that uh, they use as mulch in landscapes. Are are you finding that you can find it in a wider variety of uh, textures or? horses grades i'm not sure exactly what the right term would be um has that worked well, this out
1: this company that, that we were originally working with it was going to have several different products uh that kind of fell apart and the people or half of the people are doing it again and, and very uh, moving along very well and their main product and I, they'll probably do some additional ones too but their main one is one i kind of like because the particles range from almost gravel size down to powder. Yep. You, you got a wide range of, of sizes and I, the, even though that will create some problems for some people because in shipping it'll settle a little bit and all that kind of thing. But in general, I think having that variety of sizes is a good thing and the paramagnetism is way up there. It's through the roof uh, strong. So it's, it's uh, on the market uh, to a degree already, but looking and doing some consulting already in the hemp industry because the, the hemp uh, <laughs> growing is becoming more uh, you know legal across the country now and in fact Texas is looking into making it that way and the, the only the only tricky part there is that the organic program may push the hemp to be healthier and push that um, level of you know, the cannabis too high, and yeah. people, what they have to do if that happens is burn the crop. It's got to stay down uh, <laughs> low enough. And that's one thing we're really scratching our heads about is, you know, how do we make the hemp you know, production as good as possible without pushing that level up too high?
0: Well, it's 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 certainly interesting to see around the country and even around Texas. And uh, Doctor Kirby and and boy, this would be a whole other topic to talk about sometime. He is really um, he's he's into talking about how important it is to have a company that does test the purity levels and and talks about the amount of good materials in there. But he's seen just some remarkable results. Uh, with animals, uh, with a the number CBD of different oil is probably yeah. He's yeah. At.
1: yeah, that's what we're looking at too. Well, we'll talk about that more next week. I'm going to have to run. I got to go to the Wells Feed Store to make an appearance today up in Plano. It's well, you're not, you're
0: connection. not planning to participate in the uh, big international uh, gardening event today, are you?
1: What is that one?
0: You don't know what today is? Today is International Naked Gardening Day.
1: Okay, I'm in. <laughs>
0: and and one of the funnier things I saw, and apparently this started back in two thousand and five, and it really is an international event, but I saw one list of things do not do on naked gardening day and it included repotting cactus planting roses and the use of almost any power tool out there so uh google that and you might you might get a good laugh of a lot out of a lot of things but uh (laughs) anyway get out and enjoy and uh, as always thanks so much for visiting with us this morning we'll look forward to next saturday
1: We'll
0: compare pictures next time. <laughs> see you Thanks, Howard. We'll talk Bye. to you later. Bye. How about that? I knew about that before even Howard did. Yeah, it really is true. Today is Naked Gardening Day. International started back in 2005. I personally don't plan to participate, but uh, the, the choice is yours. One of the other things, though, that it said do not do, and that is go to the community garden, and I'd certainly have to agree 100% with that. Okay, well, let's get to the phones, and it's going to be Jim and Teresa and Matt, good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Good to talk to you on this freshly rained morning. Yeah, it's a beautiful uh-huh. morning out there. Sure is. Question for you about um, blooms from aloe vera cactus. Okay. I had one this year and I was I never knew they happened. Yeah. I have a aloe vera plant. It's in a pot about ten inches in diameter outside get some partial morning sun, and I saw this about early March, I saw this stalk coming up, I thought it was from something else that came in there, but I realized, hey, this is actually coming out of the plant, (laughs) and about about a month later, it bloomed up with these nice little, you know, small tubular little flowers, Um, in the last couple weeks, it finally died off, Um, I I looked up, you know, quickly, and it said, don't keep it on, you know, outside under 60 degrees, I tried to take it inside when it was, you know, cold at night, Is there anything I could have done to keep it going longer or anything I should have been doing to it? No. The the aloe vera, if you're growing it in lots of sun, they ought to bloom every year for you. Uh, And they do make a very interesting bloom spike. The hummingbirds love them, as a matter of fact, with that tubular orange flower. Um, I suspect that if your aloe were growing in a little bit more sun, it probably wouldn't be quite as pretty a plant, but it would bloom more heavily and the blooms maybe last a little bit longer. Now, there are a whole bunch of different aloes aloe is a genus of course of uh of succulents and uh there are some aloes that are grown as landscape plants that are a little bit more cold hardy than the aloe vera uh, and there's some yellow ones as well as some of those orangey ones but uh um golly i don't really know what else to tell you about them they unfortunately aloe vera is not very cold hardy uh but if they do bloom and if they're getting enough light they should bloom every year uh if you get it a little bit more light i wouldn't be surprised if it has two or three bloom spikes next year instead of just one but the bloom's never going to be very long lasting uh week 10 days maybe two weeks at the most Okay, I think that's my biggest problem because I have two other smaller aloe veras and I just keep them kind of shaded, so I'll yeah. definitely well, keep them out in the sun. get them out in the open uh, and do it gradually. Again, aloe vera will grow in full sun, but if you move it very quickly from very shady to very sunny, it will sunburn. And as you right. get it in more sun, you're going to very definitely develop, uh, you'll notice a more of a purple red color. It's not going to be that really. Green, green look that you're seeing on your aloe veras now. So, and if you're using them for any medicinal purposes, uh, that sap will have a whole lot more medicinal quality where the plant's grown in a little bit more sun. Oh, good. Should I cut that stalk off or, or leave it or have, what should I do with the stalk? Makes no there? difference. It's going to turn brown and crispy, and I've never seen one produce any seed. So, uh, uh, it's up to you. The plant doesn't really care. All righty. Well, appreciate it, Bob. Uh, it's always interesting to talk about uh, things that you haven't seen before you call any time. Jim, I always enjoy visiting with you, and thank you, sir. Okay, have a good one. Thank you you too. Bye. All right, Teresa is up next. Good morning, Teresa. Well, hello. Hi there. Uh, someone had told me that uh, they thought I had area, some areas of brown spot in the yard and said it was a fungus, and I wanted to see if you could recommend something over the counter or a, a recipe for what i should put on there. well it's interesting I had a long talk with that early in the show about a gentleman um, with a problem unfortunately anytime you've got a brown area in the yard people tend to call it brown patch or brown spot and there are several different causes of it only one of which is the true brown patch fungus uh, wow. correctly called uh, rhizoctonia so the first thing we need to do is identify you know, if it is truly brown patch or if it's grub worm damage, how how big an area is it? Well, uh, it's sort of like a well. One is sort of the like a partial circle and a like a half circle of like you know maybe two feet. Okay. And here are just a a few things that I will tell you. Probably one of the best things you could do is just dig up a little bit of grass right at the edge. It's partly brown, partly green, and take it to a real nursery, not a box store, and let somebody who knows something about it look at it. Uh, If the runners come up, if you were to lift up on the runners and they would lift away from the soil, it's not brown patch. It's probably grub worm damage from last year. If the runners are firmly attached, but if when you lift up on an individual blade, that blade pulls away from the runner and right down toward the bottom, it looks a little brown, a little bit watery. That is true brown patch. And, um, oh. Uh, and, and there are other things uh, you know drought damage and even dog urine can cause similar problems but if you truly have brown patch fungus uh, you need to just get some whole ground cornmeal or stone ground cornmeal if you buy it at the grocery store and just sprinkle it around the area because the cornmeal grows a beneficial fungus called trichoderma which will wipe out the bad fungus the brown patch fungus but Until we know for sure that you're actually facing brown patch fungus, I can't really tell you for sure that that's going to solve your problem.
1: Okay, okay, great. Thank you very much.
0: Well, you are certainly welcome. And uh take that, you know, take a little sample, no more than three or four inches square by a good nursery, including shades of green. We look at samples every day and uh, let's determine if it is brown patch fungus. And if so, you should be able to control it. It's certainly a time of year you can get it. But uh one last question. Did the brown patches just now show up or they've been there for a while? It's been there for a while. Yeah, it could easily be some sort of damage from last year. So uh, bring a little sample by at your convenience. Take by any good nursery, and uh, we'll figure out what the problem is and and help you get it corrected. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Teresa. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, i tell you what. Let's uh, finish up calls here. And, um, oh, gosh, several things I can tell you about here. But uh, first of all, let's find out what Matt's up to. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. Somebody's had way too much coffee this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had any, so that, that, that couldn't uh, be me. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, uh, uh, one, of my, one of my most important uh, ideas about life is the one that says, keep smiling, people wonder what you've been up to. And people tell me they can hear the smile in my voice. So I guess that's a good thing. Exactly.
1: Quick question for you. Yeah. Uh, commercial brand pellet type lawn fertilizers good bad or ugly
0: well it all depends that's a great question it all depends what the fertilizer is derived from um uh, if it is a, a synthetically derived made mainly from natural gas product and that includes a lot of the big names out there um they, let me just first of all tell you the, the good, the bad, and the ugly on them. Um, the synthetic fertilizers, the nutrient is in something we call the anion form. It does not bind to the soil, and they may have real high numbers on the bag, but you're, your plants are only going to get a small percentage of that, probably no more than ten or fifteen of the nutrients because percent of the nutrients because there 's nothing to bind them to the soil. so you get a fertilizer that says twenty percent nitrogen I can guarantee it 's a synthetic product, and your your plants are going to be doing well to get two or three percent of you know that nitrogen. The rest of it goes off to cause pollution problems it 's the main reason that uh, Every river in the world where it enters the ocean, there's a giant, what they call dead zone. And that's a result of all these chemicals that are coming down the river, creating algal blooms and causing a number of other, of other problems. Second problem with the synthetic fertilizers is that they tend to burn the organic material out of the soil. They bring no organic material to the table with them. So they deplete your soil. Um, of organic material, which is going to make the soil harder, crustier, uh, less permeable to water and oxygen, which is not a good thing. And thirdly, they seem to encourage uh, the occurrence of a number of different diseases. So I am not big on synthetic fertilizers. Now, organic products, there are a wide range, and um I guess we could call them commercial fertilizers because, I mean, they produce them in one-ton hampers. You can buy them in huge volume as well as in the 40 or 20-pound bags that we put on our yard, but there are a wide range of organically-based fertilizers, and they're made from different things. Many of them are made from manures. Uh, the animal manure products, I like just fine. The human manure products, like Millorganite and huactinite. I'm concerned about some of the other things that wind up in there. Uh, if you don't want a manure-based product, there are some good organics that are based on... Uh, Uh, Oh, things like uh, um, the different, uh, what am I trying to say, the uh, alfalfa products. Uh, there are some great fertilizers out there based on some of the legumes like alfalfa that have no odor to them whatsoever. And the nutrients that are in these organic products, they're in what we call the cation form. They have a positive charge to them rather than a negative charge. They bind to the soil and the plants get basically 100% of the fertilizer. So let's say you're looking at a Medina product that is 4% nitrogen. Your plants are actually probably going to get more benefit than they would out of a different product that may be 20% nitrogen because of that difference in anions and cations. The cations are bound by quite a number of different things in the soil and they stay there until the plants are ready for them and use them. So that's it's easier to demonstrate with a blackboard and i realize that's that you probably were looking for a yes or no answer but uh that's the science behind it no i don't like synthetic fertilizers uh i don't care for some of the organic fertilizers but there are also some very good organic fertilizers out there which are what i usually choose
1: you guys carry some of that stuff in your store
0: absolutely we carry nothing but organics and uh Um, I think you're going to find most nurseries now offer at least one organic brand. We carry a lot of Medina products, and uh, Medina actually makes, uh, they take one of their products and enhance it, uh, add still more humates and greensand and things like that to it that actually has our name on it. But, yeah, we do, but lots of good nurseries do as well.
1: Uh, How about the nurseries over here off of uh, W.W. White?
0: uh Fanix over there carries uh, a lot of organic products. Uh, I think they carry Medina fertilizers and uh uh there's a company called Fox Farms. They carry a lot of Fox Farms and Happy Frog products and most of their products are going to be organic as well. Fanix also carries a pretty good line of Espoma fertilizers and they were probably the original company in the country to start making organic fertilizers almost 100 years ago so yeah when you're if you talk about fanics they've got lots of good organics over there
1: okay sounds good thank you sir
0: well anything else i can help you with today
1: no just keep it bright and blue and sunny
0: (laughs) and i think we're forecast for more rain on sunday or on monday rather but uh as I always tell people, I've seen it too dry a whole lot more than I've seen it too wet. So uh we'll keep smiling, and looks like this weekend's going to be beautiful, though. So you get out and enjoy. You too, sir. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.